All right, so the fallout of the Emergencies Act continuing to come out as documents reveal, well, that Alberta Premier Jason Kenney privately told the Prime Minister the convoy, the convoys were uh, filled with crazies and that bringing in martial law will be seen as provocation. One of the latest little nuggets that has been dug up with our friend Tom Korski, managing editor over at Blacklock Supported. Good morning. You there? I sure am. Oh, there we are. Okay. Um, you know, there's, it's interesting. The documentation, the, the emails and the documents that were released in this, uh, in, in the um, inquiry are really the storyteller here. Yeah, the documents have been gold. In yeah. this case, the this is, uh, you, well, you never see this, uh, stenographic notes of a, uh, the Premier's call. The morning of Cabinet's decision, announced decision, to invoke the Emergencies Act. You know what's really interesting here is there was almost a consensus among the Premiers. Well, seven opposed the uh, invocation of the Act. Everyone but uh, British Columbia, Ontario, and Newfoundland and Labrador. There was a consensus that this was going to be very far-reaching. Don't do it. Seven out of ten said, including uh, then-Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, who, as you mentioned, described sympathizers of the convoy as crazies and irrational people who believed in conspiracy theories. He's not Premier anymore, by the way. So that's yeah. interesting. But the, there was this consensus that, that it was going to set a, uh, a far-reaching precedent and uh, I agree with seven out of ten premiers. We don't know the half of the impact of Cabinet's decision to do what it did. Well, I don't think we'll know for a long time. That's the thing. It's, uh, the division it has created is going to, to I think, be a, a price we pay for some time. I do think, though, it's interesting because you even get uh, documentation where Green Party leader Elizabeth May, you know, she's privately circulating all these uh, completely unsubstantiated allegations of, of Kremlin involvement in the convoy. That was a big part of the narrative. Um, and she's telling all these, uh, you know, cabinet members on the liberal side, well, it's hair-raising, hair-raising she's writing in these things, and, and they've got to do something about the cancerous growth they are to our democracy. Only party leader with an arrest record. But that's <laughs> what hysteria does to you. You would think that Elizabeth May would recall what it was like to be a member of the Green Party in the 70s and 80s, when the, the same slander that was applied to the Freedom Convoy was applied to them. You're a bunch of commies. You use violent language. You disrespect the police. You uh, repudiate social norms. Let's get out there and start cracking heads. How long did environmental protesters put up with that? And yet at no point does that juxtaposition, those two thoughts, ever collide in Elizabeth May. It's like two peas rattling around in a frying pan. <laughs> and, and, and she was hip deep in that hysteria. You're absolutely right. Emailing cabinet ministers with what was obviously ridiculous innuendo that this was somehow the Freedom Convoy was uh, directed by Russian agents. But, but that's what a witch hunt is. Everyone has a jolly time until it's over, and then you have kerosene on your pants and everyone feels foolish. Well, I guess we're not quite there yet. Meanwhile, I mean, coastal, uh, you know, the coastal link gas line, all those protests that have been extraordinarily violent, like terrorism, you know, committed on the workers of that, that pipeline, I, that's just down the road from her. Did she ever mention a pipe up about that kind of violence? Did that ever I, I guess, raise her hair? I guess we're going to have to freeze their accounts. <laughs> Our hands are tied. 
Yeah, that's not going to happen. But it's interesting because a huge part of the narrative, which doesn't actually qualify as part of the use of the Emergencies Act, was the economic damage that uh, Christian Freeland kept going on about as the bankers were now telling her to designate people as terrorists, close their accounts, and apparently they run the country now. But she kept, you know, making these massive claims about you know, half a billion lost a day, and that was a narrative um, that she 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 took. But her own department called it uh, the claims even too cute, too cute. They said, and yet it was eaten up as truth. Absolutely remarkable internal documents. That That is correct. There are, uh, Canadians were led to believe by some of my esteemed colleagues in the press gallery that there was billions lost as a result of various Freedom Convoy protests. Problem, it's not true. Interestingly, the Department of Finance knew that internally. These are not yokels. The Director General of Economic Analysis in the Department of Finance writes in an internal email that you just quoted, said those figures are inflated, they're too cute, seems high to me, she wrote, and that it was obviously a media play. Those are staffers who are ridiculing the claim made publicly to the gates of hell by Finance Minister Freeland. So not only is economic harm an invalid reason to invoke the Emergencies Act according to the Act, it didn't exist in the first place. Do you know why, Alex, when they closed the Ambassador Bridge? You'll never guess what. Apparently, there's more than one bridge between Canada and the United States, and shippers just went to another bridge. Imagine that. But, you know, it's interesting. I'll be curious if Justice Rouleau gets the correction on that that information. But, you know, the one area that the convoy lawyers, I mean, they missed so many opportunities. You know, if they didn't go down all these, I think, kind of, you know, these rabbit holes, this would be the area I'd chip in is why was this an economic emergency, but the, the blockades of three weeks of our rail lines, which also you can lay out the financial case for that. If that wasn't one, why would this be? I mean, I thought they lost on, on opportunities to, to kind of compare the two as to why one and not the other. It's interesting, I agree. The uh, w- One of the most compelling statements I heard was from someone who never testified, which was Perrin Beatty, he's now age 72, yeah. was the defense minister who wrote the Emergencies Act. He testified in parliamentary committee. It was interesting. He said, you know, this was a political failure. Everyone calls it a policing failure. We say in Ottawa the only person to lose their job was the black man, the, the mm. chief of police in Ottawa. Everyone else walked, and they blamed the police. And, and Beatty said this was really a political failure, and I think he's right. Uh, There was no reason for this to become what it became. And you see that when you read the minutes of, for instance, the confidential teleconference with premiers. Premier after premier after premier says, number one, you keep that Emergencies Act out of my province. And number two, there's a way to deal with this. Because guess what? They're politicians. They deal with people who get on their nerves all the time. It's actually a skill. But the feds weren't interested. They wanted to send the message that they were the big boss. And they did. And the impact of that, I think, is almost beyond anything the judge in this judicial inquiry can write. They're stuck yeah. with that, and we're stuck with that. Well, we'll see uh, what, what that ruling. He's got a hell of a, a lot of work ahead of him. Meanwhile, I think this is one story. This is the one story. Even my uh, producer sentence said, are you kidding me? So we've got these, you've talked about this, we've talked about these field hospitals that were built by SNC-Lavalin Group. They got a contract during the pandemic, it was $150 million, they were going to rush these emergency hospitals so that when COVID takes over and we have all these extra, you know, resources that we could set up like at a hospital in their in their um, parking lot so that we're never short, and yet they have been sitting in a, in a, 
um, collecting dust in a warehouse now for a couple of years. And the Minister of Public Works, Helena Jackson, she, she was completely unaware that like we're paying $135 million bucks to store them? One little line item in a budget document, supplementary estimates, that's exactly what it said. It said $135 million COVID support. And she showed up in Parliamentary Committee and some sharp item piece said, tell, tell me about this mystery. <laughs> and the minister said, I didn't know about that myself. And I have trouble accepting that it's COVID support, but really it's warehouse leasing costs to store field hospitals that, that nobody asked for. I take the minister at her word. I don't think she did know. There is a relationship, let's call it a friendship really, between middle managers and the Department of Public Works and lobbyists for SNC-Lavalin that is so profound. It goes way beyond Valentine's Day. It is a rich, rich, remunerative friendship between those two groups. It's amazing as we you know, see children's hospitals buckle under the strain of a really hard flu season because, you know, no one bothered to get pain meds in the stores and, and, and no one bothered to heed the warnings about said flu season. And yet we've got all these extra resources, Tom, that we could pull out and actually use. And, and apparently they're never going to use these things. They might as well donate them. It, it's crazy that these, these units, these are very highly, you know, technical units. It's not just some tent. Like these are, as I understand, intensive care units that, that you can move to a a hospital that could be used and are not being. Uh, generators, you name it, 200 beds, uh, medication, absolutely, yeah, very, very expensive. The problem is no one wants their kids going into a mobile field hospital set up in the snowing parking lot of mm. a uh, medical facility that is overrun with patients and has a 14-hour line. Yeah, no, you know what the takeaway is? Money is wasted and now it's gone. And now others are short of money. That's what happens. That's what happens when you don't spend wisely. And that's what they did. They did it often. Nonetheless, appreciate you uh, looking into it and bringing it to us. And we'll talk again on Thursday. Thanks, Tom. You bet. Thanks, Alex. That is Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Black Locks Reporter. He digs into the fine print and delivers on uh, actually what it says.